Well, today is Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday. And um, that's going to be our main topic for today. And what I've decided to do is we're going to be looking at Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, um, the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem um, on a donkey uh, through different perspectives, through different points of view. Um, and, and then what I hopefully would want you guys to do is, is see that perspective, maybe ask yourself, where am I at? Do I see Jesus in that way? So again, as we celebrate Palm Sunday this morning, um, we're going to be looking at that story. And through four perspectives um, that were there, the people that were there, the disciples, the crowd, those that had witnessed his miracles, the foreigners that were in the city, and the religious Pharisees. And what I hope, again, what this message will do is challenge you to ask your Self, ask yourself if your current perception of Jesus Christ is similar to those that were there when he entered Jerusalem. And my purpose is to help you see the, our Lord and Savior as he was meant to be seen that day, as a humble servant, as a king, and as a savior. So let's open up with a word of prayer. Lord, we do, we thank you that we're here that you're here with us, that you brought us here safely, that you brought everyone here safely, Lord. Do believe that you have a purpose and reason why everyone's here, Lord, and, and may we see that, may we understand that, may you show it to us, Lord. May we also see that day, Lord, that day you entered Jerusalem, the city of David, Lord, as through, different, through a different perspective, Lord. May we see you in your glory, what happened that day, Lord. Bless this time, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Fill this room, Lord, with your love, with your compassion, with your grace, Lord. Speak to us now, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be going through several passages, pretty much through the different Gospels of the triumphal entry. So if you do have your Bibles with you, um, I'm going to be go we're going to be going through several different passages. And um, if you can keep up, that's all good. If you can't, I'll be reading them. I'll be reading them out. But um, if you need Bibles, again, we have Bibles in the back. Um, or I just can get one for you. But uh, but yeah, we're going to be going through the different Gospels, looking at the triumphal entry through four different perspectives. And we're going to start off with Luke, in Luke chapter 19, through the eyes of the disciples. Okay. The disciples saw Jesus' words come alive. So as I mentioned, it's now Sunday, and unbeknownst to the disciples, in just a few short days, Jesus would be crucified in Jerusalem. Now, although Jesus had been in Jerusalem several times, many times before, there was something uniquely different about this particular journey to Jerusalem. So to prepare for the special arrival, Jesus carefully and deliberately gives specific instructions to two of his disciples about what they are to do and what, what they're to say. Now, by this time, the disciples were accustomed to Jesus. They were accustomed to following Jesus' instructions and usually seeing something spectacular happen. However, they probably weren't expecting events and conversations to unfold precisely as Jesus had described it. So to see the words of Jesus come alive must have mentally blown them away. Um, must have mentally blown them away. Now, can you imagine that conversation, the conversation they were having on their way back? Let me back up a little bit and actually read to you how that all went down. So I'm going to be reading from, Matthew, uh, from Luke chapter 19 and verses 28 to 36. When he had said these things, he went out on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, 
As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the young donkey, its owners said to them, why are you untying the donkey? The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their clothes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now, according to John twelve sixteen, the disciples had no idea how significant all this would be in fulfilling the prophecy found in, in Zechariah chapter 9. So imagine how much more their minds would have been blown on how that, com- and how that conversation would have been like when it, beca- when it was revealed to them. Well, from their perspective... Now, what else was in plain sight? What, can, what are they looking at? What are they seeing? Now, if you answered a donkey, you get an extra donut afterwards. You, can, you get your prizes to get an extra donut afterwards. But here's what I think. The closer they got to Jesus, their perspective on the donkey changed. You see, the disciples, from their perspective, they saw more than just a donkey. You see, not only was this donkey special because it matched Jesus' description, it was also special because they knew that there was a special purpose behind it. They began to realize that this was how Jesus was going to make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Not with an elegant horse, not with a lion, not with an elephant or a giraffe or some kind of exotic animal, but with a donkey. So what does verse 35 and 36 say? They did when they brought the donkey to Jesus. They used their own clothes to make a saddle and to possibly even dress it up. And then they helped Jesus get on it. Not only that, but then they proceeded to spread more of their clothes on the road as they were moving along. So you see, this donkey went from being an untamed, wild, and unpredictable animal to a royal one fit for a a king to ride. Sure, Jesus could have still ridden it without the disciples' clothes on it. I mean, if Jesus was able to sleep through a storm, he certainly could have handled a wild donkey. But the fact that they put their own clothes on it goes to show that they no longer viewed that animal as any ordinary or plain animal. And so, finally, the disciples had one other point of view. They saw the crowd's reaction when Jesus entered Jerusalem. Now, again, imagine that scene, or being one of the disciples as you're walking into Jerusalem and seeing all these people, crowds of people, shouting praises, throwing branches, maybe also throwing their clothes on the, on the road in a, in a show of respect, in a show of royalty, confirming or affirming Jesus as king. This was probably one of the most glorious moments in that three and a half years of ministry. So, again, to see that, to experience that, um, would have been quite a, quite a scene and would have meant a lot to the disciples. So now that I've given you the, those three, three point of, points of view from the disciples, I want to ask you three questions. My first question, have you personally seen the words of Jesus come alive? Now what I mean is, has God ever spoken to you through the Bible, and have you seen them come to fruition? This could be a promise, a personal experience, and even a life lesson you learned maybe through one of the stories of the many biblical characters. For example, let me share a story of how God's word came alive to me. For many, many of you know that um, for 10 years, I walked away from the Lord and, and my, I was living a reckless life. 
I was hurting my family. I was hurting myself. Um, I was drinking heavily. I was just, I was just a mess. But prior to that, I was involved in ministry. I was going to church. When I did finally came back to the Lord, I didn't think he can use me. After everything I experienced and everything I went through, um, there was no way. There was no way at all I, I believe that the Lord could ever use me, let alone be involved in ministry. And so I just let things be. Maybe if I started going back to church, I would sit there and, and help out, throw out the trash, or you know, just little things here and there. Um, but never did I think I would be, never in a million years did I think I was going to be up here. Um, and sure enough, over time, the Lord revealed, continued to reveal his calling to me. I think this was, the, the calling was something I, I maybe thought about and experienced since I was a kid, but it didn't mean, it didn't make a lot of sense until after I came back to the Lord. And, well, I won't make that story too long, but one of the things, one of the verses that stood out to me, that basically he spoke to me, and he, they, they came alive, was this verse from Joel 2.25. And there it says, I will repay you for the years the swarming locust ate, the young locusts, the destroying locusts, and the devouring locust. Essentially, he brought me back to where I should have been before I fell away. That's the way I see it. And I still, every time I think about it, I still get chills. I'm like, Lord, you're so good. I mean, I thought I was done. I thought I'd never serve at a church again. And lo and behold, well, that, was, that happened in 2010 when I rededicated my life. Nine years later, I'm here. And sure enough, as I said, I think, I think he continued where I should have been prior to me falling away. That's what I honestly believe. And that's, what, that's how that verse came alive to me. So my question is, has you, have you ever experienced anything like that? Has the word of God came alive to you in that sense? And if it, if it has, great. I'd like to hear that story someday. If it hasn't, keep looking, keep searching. This, I honestly 100% believe is God's word. And there's a message here for you, for each and every, every one of you. And he wants to speak specifically to each and every one of you. The more time you spend in God's word, the more he will reveal himself to you. And the more you're going to start seeing that word come alive. You're not gonna, you may not see it right away right now because you're not used to hearing from God. But the more you dig in there, the more you just start seeing it just in the weirdest places. So don't give up. Continue to search in God's word and read it, study it, and he's going to tell you some amazing things. So that was, that's my first question. Has, has uh, the words of Jesus come alive? My second question, do you see more then meets the eye. Now, you may have been wondering, why is he talking about a donkey? So not, it's not what it's all about. Why is, he, why is he mentioning a donkey? Well, just as the disciples were able to see more than just an ordinary donkey, are you able to see the potential in the plain and ordinary? Think of all the things that God has blessed you, and then ask yourself if you've taken it for granted, or if, or if you've used it to bless others with it. When 16-year-old Eliza married twin, a 20-year-old Taylor, he had never been to school. Others might, have been, others might have written his education off as a lost cause, but Eliza didn't. She taught him to read, to write, and to spell. Those days were difficult, but he proved to be a fast learner. In fact, he learned so well that years later he was elected president of the United States. When he ran for a second term, he lost, but he refused to give up. Instead, he won a seat in the U.S. Senate. Now, who was that? Our 17th president, Andrew Johnson. Keep this in mind, too. At one time, 
we were also wild donkeys, tied down by sin. But we were chosen. We were chosen by Jesus. And if someone led you to the Lord, he, he, he picked them to go to you, to untie you, and bring you to him. And yes, while we're in these bodies, while we're here on this earth, we must allow those we spiritually trust to help lead us to him, to continue to help lead us to him. Do you have someone in your life, people that will hold you accountable when you're starting to act like a donkey? If not, if not search, for, search for them, look for them. They are, they are out there. Contact me, contact Robin. I'll never say, dude, I don't have time for you. Allow us to help you and to just to come to Jesus. Just to come to Jesus and to be used by him, to, for him to speak to you and minister to you. And my third and final question. Are you aware of the joy of the Lord in others? And do you rejoice in others? Do you know when something great and awesome has happened in someone's life, that God has really touched their lives? And are you rejoicing with them? Or do you find yourself envious? Do you find yourself coveting? Or do you find yourself being, man, they don't deserve it? Well, let me tell you, the Lord blessed them for a particular reason. The Lord has blessed you for a particular reason. If people aren't happy, if people aren't satisfied, that's on them. If you aren't happy, that's on you. But the Lord chose that person, the Lord chose you to bless you. And you just, my, my, my best advice is just to rejoice with them. Be happy for them. Tell them, wow, that's awesome, that's amazing. That's what the disciples were doing. They were just rejoicing in that moment, rejoicing with everyone else. And that's what they were seeing. And, and hopefully that's what you see as well. All right, so now that we looked or tried to look at, um, show you the triumphal entry through the eyes of the disciples, let's now look at, uh, at that entry through the eyes of another group. And that's through the eyes of the crowd, the, the witnesses the crowd that had witnessed the miracles of Jesus. So we're going to go to a couple passages there, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. Well, yeah, Luke chapter 19, and we're just going to go one verse, the next verse that we, after we read, from where we read, verse 37. There it says, Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice, for all the miracles they had seen. And then the other verse I want to share with you is in John chapter 12. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 17. 17 and 18. And this was John's account. Meanwhile, the crowd which had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. This is why the crowd met him, because they heard he had done this sign. Now, according to those two verses that we just read, here's what many in the crowd saw as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. They were looking at someone who had performed miracles and had testified about seeing them. If you sat there and it was a paraplegic person here and I healed them or I laid my hands on them and healed them in the name of Jesus I seriously doubt that you would stay quiet about it and I'm certain that it wouldn't take long for it to be all over maybe social media um, or for people to start hearing and then people to start coming and check really check out what's going on here well this is what many in that crowd were seeing with their very own eyes. An extraordinary man who had done the supernatural. The gospel tell us that thousands were there when Jesus Christ fed the, fed the hungry 
and that multitudes were present when he had healed, when he healed the broken, the sick, and the demon-possessed. Now, what do you think are the two main things it takes for people to believe that a miracle actually occurred if they weren't there to see it? What are those, what are those two things? Seeing and examining the evidence of that miracle themselves. And secondly, the testimony of an honest and reliable witness. And because this is what they saw, this is what they, they, they examined the evidence themselves. And they believed the testimony of those witnesses. Many came to believe in Jesus because the evidence was undeniable. So as a crowd shouted praises and watched Jesus make his way into the city of David, something else he did stood out to them. They were looking at someone who had raised a dead man to life. Now, why was this significant and why did this miracle stand, up, stand out above the others? Because Jesus was able to do what only God can do. Physically raise someone who had been dead for several days back to life. So not only was Jesus claiming to be the Son of God, they were looking, they were looking at someone backing it up with his actions. Jesus said this in John chapter 5, verse 19. Truly, I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. Which then leads me to, to a third perspective from the crowd who, witnessed, who had witnessed Jesus' miracles. They were looking at someone who was a fulfillment of prophecy. The religious leaders at that time weren't the only ones who read or studied the Old Testament scriptures. Everyday common people did too. You see, Jesus didn't fit the religious narrative that the Pharisees and the Sadducees looked for or what they wanted in the Messiah. However, it is likely that there were some who may have examined the evidence and had concluded that Jesus was indeed the one spoken about by the prophets. We know this because the religious, it wasn't the religious leaders who were quoting Psalm 118 and attributing it to Jesus. It was the crowd. It was the crowd that was there. Here's what it says in Psalm 118, it was in verses 25 and 26 of that psalm. Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Not only that, when they saw Jesus on the donkey, the words found in Zechariah 9.9, what it came to mind? Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now John 12:11 also tells us that he took palm branches and went out to meet him. Palm branches were used by pilgrims at the Feast of Tabernacles and at the Feast of Dedication as part of their worship. And they were also symbols of victory and kingship. So by meeting Jesus with palm branches, the crowd showed that they were welcoming him as king. Now, if you remember prior to this, Jesus eluded the crowds who wanted to make him king. But now he was accepting this gesture and was accepting it, accepting the significance. Now, once again, I want you to put yourself in that crowd. Be a part of that crowd for just a minute. And also ask yourself these three questions. Is your testimony bringing people to Christ? Your testimony is your true and accurate story of what God has done in your life and in the life of others. This could be how you came to know him, believe in him, and be saved by him. 
your witness are the stories of how you've seen him work in and through your life since you've been saved and, and, um, and so that others may glorify him. Someone once said, a good witness isn't like a salesman. Emphasis on a, is on a person rather than on a product. A good witness is like a signpost. It doesn't matter whether it's old, young, pretty, ugly. It's, it's to the point, it's to point the right, to the right direction and be able to be understood. We are witnesses to Christ. We point to him. Now, sometimes people will confuse evangelism with sharing your testimony and witness. Yes, evangelism is sharing the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've heard many do this, sharing or evangelizing without testifying or witnessing. A good example of this is when Philip shared the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch in in Acts chapter 8. We're told there that, that Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with the scriptures. I don't necessarily see there in that passage of him sharing his personal testimony of how he came to know the Lord. He was just sharing the good news, beginning with the scripture that that eunuch was reading. However, Paul shares, also shares many stories of how people came to Christ through his witness and through his testimony. This goes to show that your story can also be a powerful evangelism tool. But also keep in mind that all you're doing, whether it's when you're evangelizing or testifying, all you're doing is pointing to Christ. All you're doing is just pointing people to Jesus. You're just saying, don't look at me, look over there. This is what he's done in my life. But if you want your life to be changed, to be radically changed, look to him. You're going to have your own testimony. You may already have it. You may have your own witness. You may have stories, more powerful stories than maybe I've, I've been through or someone else has, has been through. But those are your stories. That is your testimony. And all you have to do is just share it with others. If you're your concern and worry is, is about, man, I don't know theology and I'm just going to stumble with the Bible. I don't know. I haven't memorized it. It's all right. Just share your story. Share what he's done, what he did to you, what he did for you maybe that morning. Or maybe share something powerful that he did for you maybe five, ten years ago. A way, maybe one way that you saw him work or that you definitely saw him do something amazing in your life or maybe in the life of others. Share that story. And again, it's pointing back to Jesus. Because it's not about you. You're, you're not the one who saves people. It's Jesus who saves people. So you just point him back to, to the Lord. And that, your story, powerful story, when people saw the paraplegic walking, the blind man or the blind man hearing or the, I'm sorry, seeing again or the deaf man hearing again. What do you think was going through the mind? Oh, what happened? What's going on? I thought, you know, why are you walking again? Why are you listening or why are you hearing again? Why are you seeing again? And all those stories, they pointed back to Jesus. And sure enough, I bet you some of those same people that, that heard those stories were there among the crowd. Okay, so here's my second question. Have you seen the dead come alive? Now, although I do believe uh, a lot of the stories of, of God miraculously bringing people back from the dead, that's not what I'm necessarily talking about here. What I'm talking about is Have you seen the spiritually dead come alive? Think of that person that never in a million years did you ever think they would come to know the Lord, that they would be saved, that they would be serving in the church, that maybe they would be pastors or leaders, that they would be teaching in the children's ministry. 
that they would be serving the homeless or maybe even ministering in prisons. Now, that's in a miracle in and of itself. Did you know salvation, being born again, is a miracle in and of itself? Think about it. Salvation makes a person right with God. It gives them a new life in Christ. They are born again, born from above, born of the Spirit. They become children of God. Jesus becomes their Savior. Heaven becomes their eternal home. God becomes their Father. They become new creatures in Christ. Enemies of God become friends with God. Children of the devil become children of God. What a miracle. Now let me ask you this third question. Do you see the fulfillment of prophecy? Do you see the fulfillment of prophecy in the life, death, and burial? Life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Do you see Jesus in the Old Testament? If you do, then you ought to know that it'll blow you away that those prophecies were written hundreds and, and in some cases even thousands of years before Jesus was born. If you don't believe me, read Isaiah 53 and then tell me who you think that passage is, is, talk, is speaking of. In Luke chapter 24, verse 27, it says that Jesus did this, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. He opened the scriptures right in front of the disciples. He's like, yep, that was talking about me. That was talking about me. That was talking about me. He was explaining from all the way from Moses on. That's what we're told here. If they were able to, see, if Jesus was able to explain and tell them, that's who the Old Testament was talking about. They were talking about me. You should be able to see it as well. All right. So I spent most of my time talking about the viewpoint from the disciples, the viewpoint from the crowd. I'm going to quickly share a couple more perspectives from people who were there when Jesus entered Jerusalem. Now for the next one, turn. I want you to turn, if you can, turn to chap Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, verses 10 and 11. Again, this is from through the eyes of the foreigners that were there. Matthew chapter 21, verses 10 and 11. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar, saying, Who is this? The crowds, the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. As I mentioned earlier, at this time, Jerusalem was one of the busiest places in that region. So many people there, just crowded. And for the past three and a half years, Jesus had been ministering, had been sharing. He had been to Jerusalem several times. So those were, there was a lot of people who were familiar with him. But then there was also a lot of people who hadn't heard, who hadn't heard about this Jesus and so when he entered, they obviously asked, Who, what, what's going on here? What's happening? I see all this, all the ruckus. I see all this commotion. Cities in an uproar. What's going on? And so, again, we're told that they told them, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. From Nazareth in Galilee. So again, it makes sense that some of the foreigners didn't know what was going on for the past few years with this man named Jesus. But all we're told is that they only asked, but they didn't go any further. We don't know if they actually went where Jesus was entering and began praising God, we began shouting these praises. It doesn't say whether they went to go see him. All it says is that they just asked about him. I ask you, is that you this morning? Have you heard about Jesus, but haven't gone to see him? Have you heard the stories? 
Have you heard, have you heard the testimonies from the witnesses but haven't gone to see him? Well, why not? Why is, is it because of the commotion of life? What's keeping you from checking him out? What's keeping you from giving him the opportunity to minister to you, to speak to you, to, to change you, to transform you, to save you? What are you scared? Are you too busy, too busy with business? Are you too busy, busy with life? What is really going on that's keeping you from going, coming to Jesus? Well, whatever it is, and it's, is it really worth your eternal salvation, your eternal soul? He's there. And all you got to do is just come to him. All you got to do is just, Jesus, I'm here. Reveal yourself to me. And if your heart is really sincere about it, if your heart is really open about that, he will. He will show Yeah, you know, he's going to show you things that you're not going to like. He's going to show you things that are going to be difficult for you to, he may, he may tell you, get rid of this, get rid of that. And you may find it challenging. But if, that is what you want. If that is what you truly want, nothing else in this world is going to matter. Nothing else but Jesus is going to matter to you. And that's all you're going to want to live for, and that's all you're going to please. That's all you're going to want, who you're going to want to please. Now, if you can't imagine that life, then there are things holding you back. Something, maybe there are things that are weighing you down. And those things aren't going to give you freedom. Those things aren't going to set you free. Those things aren't going to make you eternally happy. They may make you happy temporarily. They may make you happy, yeah, for a moment. But it's all, one day all that stuff's going to be gone. And you're going to be standing before the Lord. And there's going to be no excuse. You've heard me say that before. There's going to be no excuse. You're not going to say, well, I relied on my stuff. I relied on people to make me happy, but I didn't rely on your son. And what a tragic day. What a tragic day that's going to be. So before that happens, come to him. I'm just telling you that the best thing to do is just all that noise that, that Jesus has been making in people's lives, it's a good thing. It's not bad. It's good noise. It's not bad noise. Go see and see the joy in people's faces and see and hear the stories of how he's, he's changed lives. Let's look at one last point of view, and that's going to be in Luke chapter 19. Again, Luke chapter 19. Two verses, 39 and 40. This is through the eyes of the Pharisees. This is looking at Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem through the eyes of the religious. Verse 39, Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told them, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered them, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. The Pharisees they just saw a threat to the status quo. They saw a threat to what they felt comfortable with, how they wanted things to be. It was, Jesus was about to turn the whole, or was turning the whole world upside down. And now that he's entering into Jerusalem on a donkey, they may have known the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. They may have known that Psalm of 118 they're like, no, we can't let this happen. We cannot let this happen. Teacher, they told him, rebuke your disciples, tell them to stop. He was like, no. Even if I did, the stones, the stones themselves would cry out. Can't stop what the Lord is doing. You can't stop 
what God is doing in someone's life, what he's planning out, no matter how hard you try. Best example, I, one, I guess one example is the Lord has obviously a day planned for everyone to finally go home and be with him. You can do everything possible. People will spend millions of dollars to live long, to do many things, to, to stay awake, stay healthy, stay. But I honestly believe that no matter what, he has a day for you specifically. And you can believe that or not believe that. That's up to you. But I honestly believe he has a time and a day. You know, and, and for those of you that are watching and listening, have been living, have already lived a long life. God, every single day, God is giving you, and you don't know the Lord, God is giving you, has given you, is continuing to give you opportunity and opportunity comes to come to know Him and come to see Him. And one day, you're going to stand before Him and He's going to say, I gave you 80, 90 years of life to come to me, to accept my Son as Lord and Savior. Why did you squander it? You can't thwart God's plan. And these religious leaders, these Sadducees, these, the Pharisees, they wanted Jesus just to completely stop. Stop his disciples. They didn't want things to change. Like, we have it good. We have it made. Things are great. We're at peace. Well, we're tolerating the Romans. The, Romans, the Roman Empire is, to is tolerating us. We have our temple Jesus, what are you doing? You're going to mess everything up. They saw a man who just was in the way. They saw a man who, who they'd rather just go away. Now is this how you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus as someone who is in the way? Who is messing up with your messing with your plans? Maybe, and maybe you're seeing him through those same eyes that the Pharisees were looking at him. Well, again, let me tell you that if God wants to move in someone's life, that move in your life, He's going to do it. You can resist them as much as you want. You can fight them as much as you want. And again, I go back to the story I mentioned earlier about myself that I, I also recognize now that, yeah, those were 10 years of my life of, of rebellion. But now I see that he wasn't done with me. And that he, no matter how much I resisted, there were times I would come home or I would be, I would come home drunk or I would be, in the morning, I would be totally hungover and, and I would hear and I would just know that, hear the Lord just saying, I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. And I would just fight and fight and fight and fight. No, Lord. No, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do my thing. <laughs> Got to a point where I hit my rock bottom and that was it. I, I, I couldn't fight him anymore. Okay, Lord, okay, I'm done. But what am I going to do? What am I going to do about my friends? What am I going to do about this? What am I going to do about that? He said, let me worry about it. Let me worry about that. You just focus on me. You take baby steps, one step at a time. And trust me, believe me, believe in me. I'm here now because of that, because I trusted in that promise. So that may be you. That may be you. That may be you right now that's saying, hey, you know what? If I give myself to Jesus, he's just going to get in the way. He's just going to get in the way of my plans, of what I want to do. Well, you go ahead, go ahead and shove him to the side, but he's always going to be there to trip you up. 
He's always going to be there, especially if you've come to know him. If you've <coughs> said at one time, if you honestly and sincerely have said yes to Jesus, he'll be there. He's going to continue. He's, he doesn't leave you. He doesn't, like, I really honestly believe that the Holy Spirit remains in you, but that fire is just dimly, dimly burning. And even that small little fire, it's still convicting you. And you know what I'm talking about. Every time I sinned, every time I did something wrong during that time, even though I was in full rebellion, there was that conviction. There was still that conviction there. And it wasn't until later that I realized the Holy Spirit was still in me and was still working in my life. It was still convicting me of sin. Listen to that voice. Listen to that Holy, the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Come back. Come back to the Lord. And He will restore you. He will restore what the locusts have eaten. Yet nothing's worth it. Nothing at all. So again, on this Palm Sunday, a week before we celebrate Easter, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, I want to ask you, I want you to ask yourself, through whose eyes do you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus through the eyes of the disciples? Do you see Jesus through the eyes of the crowds, of all those people that had witnessed Jesus perform all those miracles? Do you see Jesus through the eyes of those that, the foreigners that were there, but didn't do anything about it? Do you see Jesus through the eyes of the Pharisees? Well, if it's through the last two, I want to invite you to come to Jesus. I want you, I want to invite you to, to check Jesus out. And if you're ready to do that, if you sincerely believe and sincerely feel that the Lord, again, is calling you, come to me. I'm just, I'm just leading you, guiding you, pointing you to him. But it's up to you of taking that step taking that step to go and looking up and seeing him. And if that's you this morning and you're ready to, you want to commit your life to him. You want to give Jesus the opportunity to really change and transform your life. Yeah, he's going to cause, may cause a tornado in your life and, and change things all around and mess, maybe yeah, mess with things and all that, but it's for your own good. It's all for your own good. It's, there's a reason and purpose behind it, and he's doing it because he loves you and cares for you. But if that's you, and you're ready to commit your life to him, or recommit your life to him, if you're watching, listening, or, or here, wherever you're at, bow your head, close your eye, and with all eyes and with all sincerity, with a contrite and humble heart, Pray this, Lord God, forgive me of my sins. I know that I've blown it. I know that I have completely fallen away. So I come before you now, Lord, and lay my sins before you. God, I believe you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I confess that he is Lord. I believe that you've forgiven, you have forgiven me for my, of my sins. Thank you for sending him. Thank you for sending your son to die for me. Fill me with your spirit so that I may see you, that I may know you, so that I may walk with you for the rest of my life, Lord. Help me to not worry about 
those things, those other things, Lord. Help me just to be focused on you. Strengthen me, Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you for giving me new life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you pray that without sincerity, a miracle just happened. You went from going from death to life. And the more you walk with him, the more you're going to see. He's going to reveal himself to you. Let's close the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for riding on that donkey into Jerusalem and, and revealing so much about you, about yourself. We look forward to the day that not that you'll come as a peaceful, loving king, but that you'll come in power and might to judge the wicked, to judge the disobedient. Bless everyone that's here, Lord. Show them your might, your power, but also embrace them with your love. May they understand more and more your grace, your mercy. You'll never abandon them. You'll always be with them for all of eternity. I lift everybody here, Lord. Lift everyone up and and ask you also to encourage them to walk, Lord, to walk with you. Thank you again for this morning. Thank you for everyone that's here, Lord. Protect them this upcoming week, wherever they may be, in their jobs, schools, at home with their families. May they see your joy. May they see your joy and that others may see their joy. That they may rejoice together, Lord. How good and wonderful you are. Bless this time, Lord. This next time of fellowship. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.